All right, welcome to the Greg Steer Youth Ministry Podcast. I believe in the power of the gospel and the potential of teens, and I also believe that the best way to get teens to grow is to get them to go. I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review it, help us spread the word to youth leaders. It is time for a revolution in youth ministry that will result in every teen everywhere hearing the gospel from a friend. This is a special kind of mini-series we're doing around my short book, uh, The Failure of Youth Ministry and How to Fix It. And we're going to talk about the failure of youth ministry and what are the steps biblically we can take, we should take, to transform the way youth ministry is done. I just want to make it clear right up front, everyone on this podcast today believes in youth ministry. So we're pro-youth ministry, but we all understand and believe that something needs to change and shift. So for this episode, we have a guest returning, one of my great friends and one of the great friends of youth ministry, Mark uh, Matlock. Mark's been working with youth pastors, students, and parents for more than two decades. He's a former executive director of Youth Specialties, the founder of Wisdom Works, uh, which helps churches and faith-based organizations leverage their collective wisdom and insight to innovate ad and adapt in changing times. Um, he's authored more than 20 books for teens, including Faith for Exiles. If you don't have that, get it. Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon, which he co-authored with uh, David Kinneman. Uh, Mark has initiated Next Gen Related Research Project with Barna. Uh, he's, he's just wicked smart in the, in the words of my uh, cousins from Boston. And uh, he really is, and he's humble. And he's strategic, and he's helped us uh, at Dare to Share as a strategic consultant. He's also just helped me as a friend, and he's somebody I can just pick up the phone and call. And we'll put up his cell phone at the end of this so you could pick up the phone and call him anytime. I'm just joking. He's, he's no Bob Goff. He doesn't give his cell phone out. But he is amazing, <laughs> and right now— I have the same cell phone number always. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Greg. Really glad to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, tell us a little bit, a little bit about your background. I know you got some interesting things happening right now. Uh, tell us a little bit. What? Give us a little up update. Yeah, well, you know, when I left you specialties uh, back in uh, 2017, um, God just opened up all kinds of interesting projects for me, and. Uh, one of them was starting to work with a group called movement.org of New York and um, their ministry reaches all over the world, but uh, they kind of a, an outgrowth of a, a program called movement day in New York, where they started bringing marketplace leaders, church leaders, and nonprofit leaders together in a room to say, how can the gospel, you know, uh, impact the city? And they had a vision to see uh, the number of, um, of Christians in uh, New York grow by 10%, New York City grow by 10%. And so it was a partnership with uh, uh, City to City and Rede Redeemer, Tim Kel mm -hmm. the church Tim Keller pastors, and the New York City um, Leadership Project, which was uh, hosted by Mac, started by Mac Peer. And so they, they saw their church planning efforts, their outreach, their service projects all make an impact in the city. Mm -hmm. And people started seeing that as a model for cities all over the world. So um, I was asked by the board to be their uh, interim CEO while they're going through some transition times. And it's just been awesome to kind of step back into the CEO seat. I haven't been in that seat in a long time. 
I'm starting to realize why I stepped out of it. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, doing the strategic consulting for different groups and working with Barna. But, um, but yeah, this is what I've got in the, the near future, and I'm really excited about it. It's just awesome. Had a meeting this morning with, uh, with about 85 global leaders today mm -hmm. just talking about how the gospel is influencing their city how prayer movements are doing that. It's just, it's just incredible awesome. to see what God's doing all over the world. Well, it's cool. And I know I've met, I met Adam Durso, I don't know, it was probably 15 years ago. I preached at a thing he did called Bizarro in Brooklyn. And it was an outreach yeah. event. I don't know if you remember that. And, uh, yeah, I sure do. Yeah, it, it was, it was really good. He's got a heart for youth. And I really believe, you know, it's interesting. You know, I talk to pastors sometime and I tell them, listen, if you miss youth, you miss the movement. Um, and if you if you if your if your citywide strategies don't include youth as a major emphasis, you're going to miss the movement. Because as you know, teens come to Christ quicker, can spread the gospel faster and farther than adults. And that's why I think it's really important we shift to this conversation because I don't believe we're maximizing the potential of not just teens but youth ministry. Um, mm -hmm. So what what do you why do you think this is an important conversation? Well. You know, something happened in the 90s that um, the, the, the few people talk about, but we, we, we went on a big church planning boom, right? People were seeing churches like Willow Creek, like Saddleback, their, their incredible influence through purpose-driven and seeker-sensitive church, mm -hmm. um, even like Jim Cimbala in New York um, at a Brooklyn Tab. And... There were a lot of youth pastors that decided, you know what, rather than serve in a church, uh, I'm going to kind of jump and as a youth pastor, I'm going to jump and plant a church. Maybe that, that sounded more maybe promising. And so we lost in youth ministry, just a huge swath of talent, um, during the nineties and that church planning revolution yeah. that, that took place. And, you know, a lot of those church plants failed and sadly, a lot of those, Pastors got so burnt out, fried, uh, they, you know, some of them aren't even in ministry anymore. Um, and, and a lot of good things happened too during that time. I'm not criticizing it, but youth ministry suffered most because we had a gap in talent. And we have some people that have been serving for a very long time. But uh, what we started seeing was just not a lot of innovation, not a lot of uh, fresh responses to the culture. And so there was a, a period of stagnation that happened there where it was really more just like, what do we need to get the job done versus, you know, how are we really advancing the gospel yeah. to this next generation? At the same time, we have had emerging in the 90s, the millennials and now Gen Z that have a really different frame uh, for looking at the world and thinking about it than generations prior. And so they were kind of left up somewhat abandoned during that process. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of dealing with this systemic change issue uh, in the church related to youth ministry. I think we're now starting to realize, you know, we need to, you know, get our act together and figure out how to, how to help this generation know Christ, because we are literally losing young people at an unparalleled uh, pace yeah. than we have in the past. And people say, Oh, you know, generations have always, you know, kind of faded a little bit after high school graduation. But the reality is adulthood has changed. Yeah. And so people aren't starting getting married, starting families, really landing in their careers until their late 20s, early 30s. 
So they've had a longer period of time to go without the church mm. and make it not a part of their life. So as this rise of the nuns is happening, people are growing up in, in a culture that's just less Christian to begin yeah. with. So you have people that are just saying, boy, I don't have an opinion one way or the other about Jesus Christ. Nobody's really ever told me much about him. I mean, when I'm in New York and I'm talking to my kids' friends, because my, both my children live in New York, um, and and we're talking about um, Christ or, or, or religion or anything like that, they're always curious about what I do. Most of the time they just go, I don't really have any thoughts at all about it. I really don't know anything. You know, um, I assume you voted for Trump. Uh, that literally might be the, the only comment that they make connecting my Christianity to something uh, that they might know about. So that's literally, you know, been, been just really eye-opening to me, uh, has has been seeing just kind of the, the, the cumulative effect of all of this. There's so much packed in there, Mark. Um, I, I think the advantage is, uh, we have an advantage, is we have a, a blank or slate uh, to paint upon, right? Uh we can express Christianity uh, as a, the meta narrative, the beautiful story from Genesis one to Revelation twenty two, and you know it's. I'll, I'll never forget. I don't know if you were at that YMAC twenty two years ago when Mark uh, or Mike Mitz, uh, what's his name, Mike Mitzler, Mitz. I don't know. He talked about we have to change the way we present our gospel presentations to be the whole story, not start in Genesis three. Uh, but Gen you know Genesis one, that had a huge impact on me, and we adjusted it. We used an acrostic to train the gospel story, but now we we pitch it as telling the whole story of the gospel from Genesis one to Revelation twenty two, mm -hmm. and really took cues from I don't know if you remember New Tribes Missions, but their Etau video that the chronological yeah. method really packed into that gospel acrostic mm -hmm. is that philosophy. How do we tell an unreached people group? Because if this is where the generation's going, we need to be ready with a full gospel. And I, I mean, full gospel, not in the, you know, the four square Pentecostal way. I mean, the full gospel and the tell the whole story of the Bible from beginning to end. And uh, the other thing. Well, we are in a post-literate culture. Yeah. So there's a whole new way of, of, of thinking about post-literacy that's kind of just kind of emerging and that storing, which is actually ancient, is kind of becoming relevant again. Yeah. You know, and that uh, chronological Bible storing is, is is literally helping the gospel explode all over the globe. Yeah. But it's also finding its home in uh, post-literate cultures as well. So the other thing you were talking about was uh, when it comes to a youth ministry, and I fully agree, <clears throat> I think – Church planning has become kind of the sexy thing to do uh, out of seminary, and let's just plan a church. My philosophy is this, and I've seen this lived out, is if you come right out and plan a church, usually it's going to fail. Um, it's better to learn in the system, to do time as a youth leader, to learn to – if you could communicate – somebody once said if you can communicate to 20 middle schoolers, you can preach uh, effectively. You could preach at any church in America um, because they're going to really help test your uh, communication skills. Yeah. And to learn how to say yes, sir, to the system and learn to operate within that, kind of see what you like, what you don't, and then, and then you come out stronger – I think the other advantage is, is I, I would say is you can get out of youth ministry, uh, but once youth ministry gets into you, you always are a youth leader. So Mark, you're out of youth ministry, but you're a youth leader. You have a, you'll, you'll always have that, that drive 
for oh, yeah. young people. You know, oh, yeah. and and we oh, we yeah. get more yeah. church plan. I don't really know if I'm out of youth ministry. Yeah, I mean, many of the things that I'm leading are still yeah. about focused. reaching and impacting youth, right? And so uh, it's just in a different 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 layer. Yeah. It's a different tier of, of that work. But you know what you're saying, Greg, is so important. Um, you know, because I was we just did our pastors prayer summit in New York mm-hmm. as part of Movement.org. We gather 300 pastors from the greater Met, New York area there, uh, metro area. And uh, A.R. Bernard, who's just really become a a pastor and a man that I Mm -hmm. just really think a lot of, um, he was talking about to the older pastors in the room. And he just said, look, you know, these younger pastors can accomplish so much faster what we could when we were their age, Mm. 10x Mm. (laughs) at least. She goes, the problem is, is that what they're lacking is the wisdom of the process that we went through to get there. And so their capacity is greater than their character. And that's why they're falling apart. And I think that's what we saw a lot during that whole time frame. I even see it happening in youth ministry where... You'll see people launching curriculums or youth ministry blogs or whatever. They're, they're more interesting in their brand yeah. than they are anything else, mm-hmm. you know? And I think we have to kind of adopt this idea of kingdom over brand. Yeah. <laughs> I heard somebody on a global call mention that from uh, Australia yesterday that, um, that, that we've gotten sucked in by kind of the zeitgeist of social media and uh, having a brand and developing a personal brand and all this stuff that we've forgotten what it means to be uh to have the kingdom brand and to wear that every day hold on uh because that hey siri that, that's so look up zeitgeist <laughs> oh she did so it's the spirit of the day Greg. spirit the characteristics of the day of a given epic in world history would you like to hear more no i'm good <laughs> Spirit of the day. So anyway, you could have just all, said spirit of the day. Say, you forget who you're talking to. Forget who you're talking to. <laughs> all that we've got to do is we've we've got to really go back. I think to the cross. Yeah. We've got to go back to the fundamentals of helping people understand how to follow in the way of Jesus. Yeah. So one of the the cool projects I'm involved in right now is we're taking Pete Scazzaro's emotionally healthy discipleship material, yeah. which is emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy, um, uh, relationships. And so it's kind of the love God, love others of that. And we're doing that for teens. Cause one of the things that I think has really come out over the pandemic is that we, our programs were not enough to make disciples and to form them. We weren't catechizing young people to the faith. And so I think we need to you know, really look at what that's all about. But, but it really comes down to, am I trusting in Jesus? That is the one thing yeah. that youth ministry is about for a teenager that no other influence in their life is encouraging them to do is to put all of their trust, mm. to lean all of their life weight into their relationship with Christ. I, I love that. And, I, and know that I, they're not. And I think, you know, that whole concept, you know, and again, I'm going to tie it back to evangelism. There's something about, you know, evangelism that is cathartic and transformative. We did a, we do a full week training in the summer called lead the cause. And I had a girl come up to me. She's like, I've never been to something like this. 
And I go, okay. She goes, no, I've been to camps. She goes, every camp I do is about me and my hurts and my needs. This is the one time where you guys talked about those, but you're really focused on Christ and this cause. And she goes, and you know, in the process, I feel healthier. And I go, well, I said, I think that is what it means to be a disciple. It's not, not, I mean, not that you avoid those issues, you deal with those issues, but you also are getting these kids Christ-focused. You're getting them grounded in the word to catechize. You're getting, getting them on mission. And it really ties in with all these, all these important things that teens need, you know? And I think part of- Well, when, when somebody is a truly formed disciple, they can't help but evangelize. Yeah. Right. It like it oozes out of them. They can't have a conversation and not somehow bring in their relationship with Jesus Christ and and, and to see that in there. And, um, you know, one of the, the challenges that I know you have done a masterful job working through in, you know, raising the flag of evangelism is, um, you know, helping people be formed so that they're share they're sharing from their life. They're not just sharing a message that they're not connected yeah. to. And, uh, and I think that's when people hear evangelism this day, that's what they think is, Oh, you're going to teach me a system. You're going to teach me a way of doing things. And I've just loved watching the way you've progressed as you've actually done this with people and walked alongside them and youth pastors to help them become gospel advancing, um, in, in their work. Mm is that it's not a thin gospel. It's a, a formed gospel in their, in their life. And I, I love that about what dare to share is trying to accomplish. Well, it's, it's exciting. And, and I, you know, I say this all the time, you fall in love with evangelism, you'll fizzle out. You fall in love with Jesus. You'll always evangelize. Cause he just, like you said, it just, he just oozes out of you. You can't help but bring him up. Right. And, uh, yeah, it just comes out. People, Jesus brings people to you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, like you, 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 you sit down next to somebody on an airplane or, uh, you know, in, in the bus or at a, at, a, at a restaurant or whatever, and the, the server, the waiter, somehow it, it will come yeah. up. God will just do that when you trust in Amen. him. It's, a, it's amazing. But people need to know how to take mm. advantage of that moment too. Yeah, you know, I've been training. working with my own yeah. children because they're realizing that, that the Jesus inside of them is showing up to people uh, and they're not necessarily knowing how to take the turn, take that moment yeah. and, and cultivate it. And that's the beauty of, of, you know, everything that you've been about. Yeah. We need to get the, those uh, youth leaders in New York, man, let's train them and equip them and mobilize them. Cause they can, I'm, I'm telling you, I think. Oh man, you want to talk about, you want to talk about on fire, uh, one of our on fire group of, of, of people, it's it. the, the youth ministers. I remember York. training a group yeah. of youth leaders in Queens and it was no nonsense. Most of them were uh, volunteer part-time. They took notes on everything, asked questions. You know, unlike sometimes some of the suburban, it's more like going to a buffet. I'll take a little of this, take a little of that. I mean, they were just saying, we're going to take this, we're going to download it. We're, we're, the situation is urgent and we're going to mobilize this generation. I'm like, oh man, I love I love New York City youth leaders. They're all about it. So let's make a shift um, to this, this book, this small book, The Failure of Youth Ministry and How to Fix It. Just to ask you honestly, what did you agree with, disagree with? How would you, you know, kind of shape some of the way that that was communicated or you know, are you, you know, would you fully agree or partially disagree? What do you, what do you think? Well, I think it's really important that we, you know, 
that we ask ourselves the question, you know, are, how, how are we doing that we t take a little pulse? Mm -hmm. I think that's a, 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 a healthy thing for us to do as a collective network mm -hmm. of people that are trying to help young people follow Jesus and put, put, put their trust in him. And so I love things like this, you know, it reminded me, you know, back in the early 2000s, I did a project for, um, for you specialties. And I kind of did a futuring project looking at what are the future scenarios mm. for youth ministry. And one of them, one of the scenarios was youth ministry has proven to be a failure. Uh, and that, that we ultimately, we figure out this, this, everything that we've built doesn't work. Mm. And, um, it's been interesting to watch over time where, you know, people have either said, yep, it's a failure and they've jettisoned or they have said, you know what, if we keep doing things the way we are, yeah, it is, it is not going to work. But if we modify, yeah. if we, you know, adapt, if we learn from what we're doing yeah. And one of the challenges I, I've always found in youth ministry, because people kind of, you know, graduate out of youth ministry at some point in time, they either age out or, or whatever. Sometimes youth ministry suffers from not being able to build off the wisdom mm -hmm. of those who've come before. We're hyper localized. We're inside of our church. Mm -hmm. We're narrowly focused on the students that we have. And there's this collective wisdom out there in the community. And that's why I love podcasts like this. I love conferences like you specialties mm -hmm. where we can come together and we can learn from those who are older and wiser. Yeah. Um, from, we can learn from others that are going through the mm -hmm. same experiences where we are and we can kind of collect that knowledge and kind of grow. But I've noticed lately that a lot of people haven't been interested in leveraging that collective wisdom you know, that's, that exists within our community and everybody's kind of trying to solve for their own conclusion. And therefore we're repeating the same yeah. things over and over again. We're not progressing. Um, we're not standing on the shoulders of those who've come before mm -hmm. us and learned the lessons, taking it new places. And so that's what I love about a book written by a sage kind of guy like you, Greg, is that, um, you're really evaluating this. But what I love is the byline on it too, you know, and how we can fix it. You didn't just, and, and this is what happened during the time that I was writing this stuff. People were just trying to critique youth ministry and say that it was, it was bad. It didn't work, whatever. But very few people were really offering solutions, yeah. a new framework, a new model. And so what happened during that time is a lot of people got kind of disillusioned and we kind of lost models, you know, things like purpose driven, you know, you were a part of a project with chap Clark looking at different models of youth ministry. And I thought that was a really important book because, um, I found that a lot of people were just making it up as they went. They weren't, they had no theory of change. They had no kind of perspective on what am I trying to do here with these young people? Where am I trying to take them? And, um, that created kind of a crisis. I did this listening to her where I traveled like yeah. 20 something cities would wake up in the morning, no agenda would show up with a room full of youth pastors. We would make an agenda and just have conversations mm -hmm. all day. And the one thing that I found was just that it, that, that, that it seemed like youth ministers were just lost. They didn't really know See, uh, who to look to or you know, who to guide them. You know? I, I think of, you know, youth leaders need leading and I feel like youth ministry needs led. And I've, 
not not by a person per se, but by a a biblical framework for effectively doing youth ministry. And, you know, I think a lot of people jumped up with that confusion and said, okay, here's the answer, family ministry. Youth ministry is wrong. It's mom and dad's responsibility. Mm-hmm. I remember preaching at a D6 conference, which they're great. But I said, you know, if it's just mom and dad, then what do you do with a, with a guy like me who actually led my mom to Christ? And discipled her when I was 15 years old. You know, I did not have Christian parents. I had no father, and, I, and my mom was an unbeliever. And I'm raised in this violent family. Uh, you know, and I think more and more teens, the teens that we're trying to reach, don't have Christian moms and dad. And even a lot of the ones that do have Christian moms, they don't. Their spirituality is not formed, let alone being able to form their own uh, kids. So it makes a case. And I believe in family ministry, and I love D6. I've, but I feel like it's got to work in. Thank you. Cause I, I, I kind of helped them get started. Oh, good. So. Perfect. I'm glad the zeitgeist <laughs> on that was that, no, that's not the right proper usage. Um, but the whole concept of, of that working with the system of youth ministry, again, I think it's what you say is modify. How do we adjust? How do we learn and grow? And well, go? yeah, well, we have to look at the, we have to look at the life cycle. Obviously, you know, this is a great theological question. And I think the the church in the last, you know, couple decades, maybe 15 years has basically kind of said, Hey, look, parents are the primary disciple makers of their children. And I would say, no, parents who are a part of the church are the primary disciple makers of their children. But the reality is the church is the primary disciple makers period. Right. Uh, the, the church is the one who is responsible for making disciples. And if I'm a parent, I then have a responsibility, but, but, you know, I think, I, uh, I think it was Mark DeVries who said, you know, sometimes when we say that parents are the primary, we assume that parents are more sanctified than they are. And we have biblical models, right. Of, of parents, uh, you know, giving their children over to be spiritually mentored by others. You know what I mean? Like that's not an unbiblical model. If you as a parent aren't capable of raising your child, then they should be in a community or they should be in somebody's care who can take care of that. And I remember, you know, some speaker saying, look, we outsource, uh, you know, our kids athletic coaching. We outsource their, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, their education. We outsource their, this We outsource." And they go, but we cannot outsource their spiritual development. And I'm like, why not? If somebody could help my child grow closer to the Lord better than me, I would absolutely outsource that job. Uh, well, and I think, know? you know, it's because so, it's, I do think, like I, I've said this before, my son has been exposed to some great leaders at Dare to Share, uh, Zane Black, Gerard Gunder, others, and I'm, I love the fact that he looks up to them and that they have helped shape his spiritual growth. Because as you and I well know, and any parent who's parent of teenager or above knows it's a team sport, you know, discipleship is a team sport. It's not. It absolutely is. Well, think about the hero's journey, right? That our, that our kids are on, right? They, uh, they, they're, they're foolish. They get a call to adventure, right? Uh, then they, they, 
usually meet a mentor, right? So if you got Spider-Man, he gets bit by, or uh, Luke Skywalker, you know, he- Wait, hold on. Spider-Man got bit gets, by Luke Skywalker? I did right, not sorry. see that one. Sorry, sorry. Go back to Luke Skywalker. Let's use Luke Skywalker as an example. So Luke Skywalker, he gets this, this call from, uh, you know, this princess, right? You know, to- to, to, to get invited into a bigger, a bigger story than he's living as a moisture farm, farmer on Tatooine. His uncle says, no, all of a sudden his, you know, um, you know, his, his aunt and uncle get, get killed and he finds a mentor. And what's interesting is in all of the hero stories, like the parents die, mm. Batman, Superman, you know, Spider-Man's living with his aunt and uncle. Harry Potter's living with his aunt and uncle. I mean, every, all of these stories, Cinderella, dad's dead. He's got the evil stepmother. All of our heroes, their parents are dead. Why? <laughs> because that is literally the symbolic moment of maturity. And if you are alive while your kids are going through adolescence, you know that you are symbolically yeah, dead. <laughs> dead to me. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it's like you can have like, I mean, I was helping write the youth group curriculum when my kids were teenagers. I'm like, please don't tell my kids I had anything to do with this because <laughs> they'll reject yeah, it, right. you know. Um, and so, but they'll listen to these others. And I was so thankful for the men and women in my church that were able to come alongside my kids during that phase of life because I saw my kids accelerate their growth by being a part of the youth ministry, their spiritual growth, by having these other adults in their life that were saying the same things that maybe I would have told them, but they were listening to them. Yeah. And that is why I think youth ministry is so important. Yeah. You know, we always say, boy, if parents would just get their act together, things would be okay. That, that might be true, but it's probably never going to happen. So as a body of faith, we, we have to own that. Yes, challenge Christian parents to ra to raise their kids and their friends' kids in the Lord, but uh, but at the same time, hey, let's as a church realize that we have responsibility for making disciples in our communities. Mm -hmm. we, that's why gospel advancing is so important. Mark, this uh, I'm kind of checking out my questions because I think this conversation has taken a a trajectory of its own, and I think <laughs> it's good because I do think you know. People that read the failure of youth ministry are going to kind of get our our idea for a solution, which is the the gospel advancing uh, philosophy. I do think you bring up a, a bigger picture question about youth ministry in general and how parents interact with that. Um, but I'm very hopeful. I mean, I just want to. I want to. We're going to invite Chris in, a youth leader, in just a few minutes. But I'm very hopeful about the future of youth ministry. I, you know, I. I preached last week to about 1,500 youth leaders in Orlando at the Youth Pastor Summit and about uh, 100 or so in a breakout session at Youth Pastor Summit in Dallas this week. And people ask me, how do they respond? I go, you know, I think down deep inside of every youth leader worth his or her salt, there is a hunger for transformation. There's a hunger for gospel advancing. There's a hum hunger to change. They, they know something's off. And they want to see it fixed. And they're looking for that leadership. They're looking for that pathway. And it's what we call a radical paradigm that's 2,000 years old. It's the ancient path of, you know, kind mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, the, the, cre the creed and the cause and Christ and the church and the family and just working together to mobilize these teenagers. So I'm, I'm hopeful 
for the future of youth ministry in spite of the challenges. And, and I'm hopeful too. I, I actually don't believe that there has maybe ever been such a great moment for teenagers as right now. Um, now we, we in the church have to get our act together and figure out what we're really about. Are we about like wanting to be the star on the stage yeah. or are we about making disciples, you know? And I think that's the hard questions that we've got to ask ourselves yeah. as leaders. Why am I getting into this? Um, I always told people that we're trying to, you know, hey, we got this idea for a great youth ministry product or a great youth ministry resource, and we think it's going to crush. And I'm like, look, if you're trying to make money in youth ministry resources, you're already starting in the wrong space. Like people have done it, but by accident, yeah. rarely by design. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like just follow the kingdom, yeah. follow, you know, follow reaching ki kids, loving them, helping reach them. And, and, and any of that influence will follow you, you know, but focus on that. Don't be thinking about how to build all that. And I agree. I think this, this, uh, you know, youth pastors around the country, you know, it's hard to step back and think about this every week. You're faced with several Mack trucks of Sunday, Wednesday, you know, trips that are like facing you. And it's like, as soon as you, you know, dodge one, there's another one coming at you, you know, in seven more days. Right. So it is hard to stop and reflect. So I applaud anybody who's listening to podcasts, who's taking time to go out and just stop. Yeah. And maybe that's one of the best things you can do is ask your pastor just to give you three or four days just to stop and do a retreat, yeah. spend some time with the Lord of his word, and just think about what am I doing yeah. right now? And how do I think this works? Because it only comes down to one thing. Jesus, will you make a difference yeah. in the lives of Amen. the teens around Amen. me? Now, how do I introduce yeah. these how people do we to do Jesus? That? It's the only way. It's the and, only and way. Mark, that's, I'm going to make a segue to bring in Chris in. I, uh, that's why I wrote The Failure of Youth Ministry, and that's why it's such a, a blatant title. I want to get youth leaders' attention. I want them to pause and reflect and think about it and, and reconsider uh, the path that they're, they're going in. And one of those youth leaders that is just – rocking it is Chris Bartley. He's a discipleship pastor, youth pastor at New Beginnings Fellowship and church in Pikeville, Kentucky. And he writes in here his bio, Go Cats. I don't know what that means, but I'm sure that's a an awesome thing. Um, he's married to Billy, who's a gospelizing machine. I can testify to that. And together they have three kids. He's been in youth ministry in one form or another since 1998 in Pikeville, Kentucky. Loves seeing students lead others to Christ. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you. Man, this is awesome. So, I was, Chris, I was awesome. like at class. I love that, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is just an average conversation for Greg yeah. and I. Like we, he'll, he'll call me all the time, and I, if I can, I will always take Greg's call. I love talking to Mark. I learn so much every time. And uh, so, Chris, what are some of your, like, insights, thoughts, questions based on this conversation? Well, you know, I, I was going down one way and then it, it shifted. So I'll start at the first, you know, um, I have to, I'm going to back up. I agree. The pandemic exposed a lot of our programs. Um, and so like as a youth pastor, uh, you know, uh, talk to a lot of my friends, not just here, but all over the country and students were dropping off of the Zoom calls or the online things. And just in conversation, we realized that our programs were designed to gather and not to multiply. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was simply a program, you know. Wow. And, and so when Jesus calls his disciples to, to be sent, and, and really youth ministry had been designed to gather. And, and, to, uh, and some of the ways I realized that, just even listening right now, is a lot of the things that I'd been to, um, you know, Simply Youth Ministry used to do the National Youth Pastors Conference and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Those things, most of the leading questions of new people that we would meet would be, how many students do you have? Mm. And so one of the shifts I've made, especially since the pandemic, is when somebody asks me that, I say, let me tell you about Andrew. Mm. He's a student in our ministry, and here's what he's doing. Mm. So, you know, um, he... You didn't tell him that Andrew was the only student no, you had no. in your youth ministry. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, Andrew is a disciple-making machine. And he's, you know, anytime at school, like even the football coaches, like, Andrew, will you pray for us before we go on the field? Andrew, you know. That's awesome. And, and so that's one student of, of several who are doing that that I get to work with. Now, I can tell them, you know, uh, um, we've got this big youth ministry and we're doing this and we're doing that. But really, whenever there's a heart that's been ignited for Christ, um, it, it changes the whole community. Um, it's the real measure. Exactly. Yeah. It, I, I love that, Chris. I love that so much. And, you know, I, I, I can't agree with you more. The pandemic exposed so many things, you know, about, um, about what we're doing. You know, I think people realize, oh, my congregation doesn't know how to read the Bible on their own, how to pray on their own, how to, you know, like they're more dependent on us than we thought. Um, maybe there are a lot of people that were just coming that weren't really participating. Um, and, um, you know, I think what, what scares me about is things are kind of bouncing back to normal is that people are trying to return to the old ways rather than realizing God has given us a tremendous opportunity to leave some things at the curb and make space for some new things. And in some ways, just making some space too. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, there's this desire to rush back in. I think we're going to be a lot, very disappointed uh, as we do that. And we're going to miss this really beautiful opportunity. Churches, organizations that have been around for a while, they collect a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like we had this opportunity to do a garage sale, (laughs) you know, and figure out what's really worth keeping. And I just hope that we don't rush back to fill up our spaces with the same things, but we make some space for some new ways of thinking and doing things. I think it's really, really, really important. Good stuff. That's awesome. You guys had that. Uh Yeah. And and my wife, I stole a line from her. I heard her discipling a, a girl and she said, invite somebody to Jesus and they'll find a church. And, uh, and so that's been our real focus oh, as we've great. kind of relaunched. And, and you're right, our calendars look different. You know, our, our programming reflects our priorities um, because uh, so many times, like as a youth pastor, you know, uh, you come in and you inherit a program and, well, we do it this way. Um, but there's never been a, a, like Greg said during this interview, uh, there's never been a more blank canvas that we've ever had to make it very biblically based and, and and our measurements don't have to be how many do you have coming to your weekly gathering but how many people are being transformed and what does that look like in a real and relevant way in the community and in the schools so chris i'm gonna just interrupt real quick because you're bringing up a point i 
I think I've realized with the whole gospel advancing thing and talking to youth leaders for the last several years that really a key to implementing this gospel advancing philosophy is a student leadership team that are on fire for the gospel, that are setting the pace. Because a lot of youth leaders say, what do I start? Well, start praying, start sharing the gospel, train your students. I think a real tactical step is find those kids that are ready to go all in and pour all into them. And uh, I just wanted to get your response to that because it feels like this is a time where that shift in youth leaders thinking can really happen and really build strong student leadership teams that set the pace for the whole group. Oh yeah. Um, and like, like we're very intentional on, um, on pouring into as many students as we can, obviously. Um, but there's also those who you could just see making a difference. Um, and some of our most impactful times, like, one of, one of the things that happens here is after youth ministry is over, you know, we end around 7.30, so 7.45 where everybody's leaving. Um, six or eight kids, maybe 10 kids sometimes will say, can we come to your house and your wife make donuts? She makes the best homemade donuts. But uh, so they come and we're sitting around the table and they're asking real questions, real mm -hmm. life questions uh, about, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago that uh, we had another faith uh, move into our community and, and they were out in the yard and they were talking to a couple of kids about what their faith belief is. And so they were asking me all these questions. Well, what do they really believe about this? And so these are things they're not going to ask when you're standing in front of a, a group of 30 or 40 or even, yeah. you know, others, but it, you have to break down that wall to where they feel open to be able to ask you these questions. And, and then, you know, something I've learned is you've got to be able to answer those questions. Um, which means maybe you don't answer right that second. Uh, maybe you have to do some research. Uh, but, but the discipleship is happening around the table. Um, I say, I tell them, I say, energy happens in the rows. So in the big crowd, you know, we build energy. But growth happens in circles, in small groups. And, and you can really pour in and get those true, real-life questions. One of our, our things that here at the church that our pastor keeps saying is we got to make Jesus known in a real and relevant way. And it kind of leads to what Mark was saying. Like, if, if people don't, um, you know, it's easy to, to, to tell people that they need to know Jesus. And deep down, they know that there's something there. But to, uh, like, this Sunday, we're going, or next Sunday, at the Sunday after Easter, we're going to the local baseball field and we're going to mow the grass, we're going to paint the dugouts, we're going to do those things. And we've invited the coaches and the players to come and be a part of that. Mm. Um, and so it's going to be real and relevant. You know, how is Jesus making a difference, uh, not just in a vocal thing, but in a real sense? And how are we making a difference in the community? Um, mm. And so, uh, a, Chris, I, I think that's really brilliant. You know, one of the first ways that Greg and I met was over some research that we had done on teens and evangelism. And um, one of the things that we discovered was that a lot of non-Christian teens, uh, when we asked them, like, here's a bunch of activities you could get them, be invited to do, what would you be most likely to say yes to? And we had concerts, hear a talk, you know, go on a, to an amusement park, see a magician, you know, all this stuff. And the one thing that came up was do a service project for the community. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we don't, you know, we think about, well, okay, we're going to take the youth group to go serve. But I love this idea of inviting 
another group or others to come and serve alongside you. Because there's something really powerful when we make things together, when we do things together, we really get a chance to unpack the gospel. That's that's just brilliant. I just want to yeah. highlight that in case anybody missed that and just thought, oh, I'm just hearing a hearing of a project they're doing. No, there's there's something really powerful that can be replicated in a thousand different ways. Uh, that's so, so I mean, even the, the making donuts thing, you know, we had a woman in our church who would teach, um, teach the teenagers how to cook because mm. most of them didn't know how to really cook. And that became this huge, just moment as they would come together and prepare meals that they would then eat, but they were learning how to cook and they just talk about things and life would come up in the process of doing that. And all of a sudden faith is being mm-hmm. shared. If it's, if there's an end to it, right? If there's a, an, a, an outcome, of, I, I want to make sure these people understand who we are and what we're about. But anyway, I think that's yeah, really great. Kind of I, you I, know, just, oh, go ahead. Uh, kind of what I've learned in doing these, these projects like that is in doing the projects, um, all the, the get to know you's is taken care of and you get to jump straight into the chase. You build credibility and you build vulnerability. And so you, you know, and so while you're raking the field, the grass, or you're painting something, or you're cleaning, or whatever it is the project is that we've experienced, um, they say, well, what do you think about this? And you're able to interject uh, the gospel. Uh, And they ask you the question. You don't have to say, have you ever thought about? Um, And so they, they start asking the questions. So... I'm hearing two really practical things. It's organic evangelism Mm -hmm. in the midst of a service project, but also organic discipleship around a table. And I do Mm -hmm. think creating room for that, for that hangout time, but intentional discussion and food, fun, but, but not just playing games, not just filling time, but like having those conversations. Because what we, we used to teach a strategy called alternative teaching, ALT, ask, Mm -hmm. listen, teach. Well, that can happen in a youth room, but it can happen around a table. You ask questions, you listen deeply, and then you show them what the Word of God says. It's a little bit more dangerous because they're going to ask you questions that are tough, you know, questions about hell and the reliability of Scripture and LGBTQ and gender issues. All that stuff is going to come up. But you look how Jesus discipled his disciples. It was usually not in a teaching format. It was on the way, by the way, by a fig tree, by Mm -hmm. a lake catching fish. I mean, it was in real life. And, and that is, that is great. I know we're wrapping up here, but do you guys have any final, uh, thoughts or, um, encouragements? I'll tell you the other thing that Mark said that really shook me was when he was talking about the parents, I mean, the church, uh, being responsible for making the disciples because so many times I've said they pay to get their laundry done. They pay for the dry cleaning. They pay to get their house clean. So they're paying me to give them Jesus. And I've almost took that as an insult. But uh, uh, for the youth leaders listening today, man, grab hold of that. I mean, Mark really made me think about that in just these few minutes mm-hmm. is that maybe that's the best alternative. It's better uh, for them to uh, send their kids, go learn about Jesus than to be at home and get some kind of false narrative about who Jesus is. And, and so seize that moment. I mean, that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, and, and then what happens is the multiplications because students control a lot of the resources from the house. We take them to baseball, we pay, you know, for lessons mm-hmm. and those things. So they're controlling a lot of the money and a lot of the time of the parents. Um, 
And, and so we, as youth leaders, can seize that moment. That was great. Yeah. I mean, that was great. I, I think it was it was great, and I would just add to that, to buffer to that. I mean, obviously, the best scenario is going to be that plus fully engaged mom and dad that are on fire for Christ, discipling mm-hmm. their kids. You got that. That's a double-barrel shotgun of transformation. Oh, yeah. Know. You just can't, you can't guarantee that just like your situation, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, like if you got it, awesome. And if you don't, yeah. Hey, Greg, remember you, you, you did your, uh, the ask, listen, teach. You had another one that started with appreciate. Oh, you mean the evangelism It was ask, admire, admit. Yep. So it's, it's how we start ask, admire, ask admit, questions, yeah. admire what you can about what they believe, admit the reason you're a Christian is yeah. you need, you, you need I, Jesus. I use that. I, I can't, I can never remember the exact, uh, alliteration yeah, can, doesn't yeah. work real well yeah. with me, but I remember the steps and I, I just want you to know that I even used that just last week. I was in Pebble beach and, uh, I met, 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 uh, some new friends and, I, I use that all the time. I think that that is such a great structure um, That's great. To, to start talking to people about things and then to appreciate. And I always look to appreciate something spiritual about what they're asking yeah. or what their questions are. Yep. And then, you know, and then, and, and it's such a good, uh, man, it's, it's worked really well with, with people that really didn't know they were walking into a gospel conversation. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I know we got to wrap up here, but, uh, Chris, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for being an on-fire gospel advancing disciple youth leader. Uh, you know, I'm a long-time and, fan. It was good for me to be here. <laughs> and Mark, thanks again, brother, uh, for being being a part of this. Anytime. And I appreciate you. We'll be praying for you with uh, movement.org, that God gives you wisdom as that interim CEO to make a maximum impact. So, And uh, I just want to tell youth leaders, hey, uh, take this stuff, get the word out, create the conversation. And remember, if you want a thriving youth ministry, build a gospel advancing youth ministry for the glory of God. Thanks for tuning in.